So uh, flip to, actually before I tell you, I'm going to tell you a quick story. So this week, this is a week, guys, we just went through some history. Uh, you may be stoked, you may be depressed, you may be confused, you may not be talking to like members of your family or friends because of this week, happens. Uh, so I was praying about this Friday and I was like, okay, this, that was so crazy, be a good opportunity to like talk about it. Should I do that? God, should we not do Leviticus? Also Leviticus, the next one in Leviticus was really hard and I was trying to find an excuse not to do it. And I was praying and I was like, no, God was like, no, you have to do. And my wife was like, you have to do Leviticus. Be faithful. Don't just quit on Leviticus. So I was like, okay. So I'm studying Leviticus and it was super hard. And then as I studied, God sovereignly ordained Leviticus chapter four to, in some ways, at the second half of the sermon, address what just happened this week, which is really cool. It's like a part of the text. Um, so be ready. This is going to be kind of a unique sermon. It's going to be like kind of two-part sermon um, where we're going to talk about what's going on in Leviticus, and then we're going to also have some moments to like reflect on what God would say about this week, which is gnarly. Um, so flip to Leviticus chapter 4, and if you have a little bookmark or piece of paper, also mark Hebrews chapter 13, because we're going to come to that and it's going to be important. So uh, Hebrews 13, Leviticus chapter 4. We're going to read all of Leviticus chapter 4. It's not too long. It's like, how many verses? 35. So it would be just a little bit of length of Leviticus. You can do this. Uh, hey, we, maybe this is wrong, but I, it, we're intentionally not putting the verses on the screen so that you get a Bible and have one that you own and can look at. Maybe that's mean, I'm not sure. But it's good to get a Bible of your own if you don't have one. Uh, get a Bible. In fact, we are in the process of revamping our Bible selection so that we could just have 27 Bibles for you to choose from. You could feel it, look, how do I like the cover, the font? And then we'll order you one. So we're in the process of getting a nice Bible showroom going. But until then, get a Bible. I'm reading out of the ESV. Um, so Leviticus chapter four, let's do this. I'll read it and we will pray. All right. Leviticus four. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to the people of Israel saying, if anyone sins unintentionally in any of the Lord's commandments about the things not to be done and does any one of them, if it is the anointed priest who sins, thus bringing guilt on the people, then he shall offer for the sin that he has committed a bull from the herd without blemish to the Lord for a sin offering. He shall bring the bull to the entrance of the tent of meeting before the Lord, lay his hand on the head of the bull and kill the bull before the Lord. And the anointed priest shall take some of the blood of the bull and bring it into the tent of meeting. And the priest shall dip his finger in the blood and sprinkle part of the blood seven times before the Lord in front of the veil of the sanctuary. And the priest shall put some of the blood on the horns of the altar of fragrant incense before the Lord that is in the tent of meeting. And all the rest of the blood of the bull he shall pour out at the base of the altar of burnt offering that is at the entrance of the tent of meeting. 
And all the fat of the bull of the sin offering, he shall remove from it. The fat that covers the entrails and all the fat that is on the entrails and the two kidneys with the fat that is on them at the loins and the long lobe of the liver that he shall remove with the kidneys, just as these are taken from the ox of the sacrifice of peace offerings last week. And the priest shall burn them on the altar of burnt offering. But the skin of the bull, which is like quality leather, if you think about it, and all its flesh with its head, its legs, its entrails, and its dung, all the rest of the bull he shall carry outside the camp to a clean place to the ash heap and shall burn it up on a fire of wood. On the ash heap it shall be burned up. Okay, so really quick, that is the sin offering. Now we're gonna read one, two, three more versions of what we just read, okay? That was what you do for the priest. But to be faithful to the text, we're going to read it. So here we go. Verse 13. If the whole congregation of Israel sins unintentionally, and the thing is hidden from the eyes of the assembly, and they do any one of the things that by the Lord's commandment ought not to be done, and they realize their guilt, when the sin which they have committed becomes known, the assembly shall offer a bull from the herd for a sin offering, bring it in front of the tent of meeting. And the elders of the congregation shall lay their hands on the head of the bull before the Lord, and the bull shall be killed before the Lord. Then the anointed priest shall bring some of the blood of the bull into the tent of meeting. The priest shall dip his finger in the blood and sprinkle it seven times before the Lord in front of the veil. And he shall put some of the blood on the horns of the altar that is in the tent of meeting, Uh, before the Lord. And the rest of the blood he shall pour out at the base of the altar of burnt offering that is at the entrance of the tent of meeting. All its fat he shall take from it and burn on the altar. Thus shall he do with the bull. As he did with the bull of the sin offering, so he shall do with this. And the priest shall make atonement for them and they shall be forgiven. And he shall carry the bull outside the camp and burn it up as he burned the first bull. It is the sin offering of the assembly. Okay, halfway there, quick reminder, this is God speaking. Listen, it's good. Verse 22, when a leader sins, doing unintentionally any one of the things that by the commandments of the Lord his God ought not to be done and realizes his guilt or the sin which he has committed is made known to him, he shall bring as his offering a goat, a male without blemish. He shall lay his hand on the head of the goat and kill it in the place where they kill the burnt offering before the Lord. It is a sin offering. Then the priest shall take some of the blood of the sin offering with his finger and put it on the horns of the altar of burnt offering and pour out the rest of its blood at the base of the altar of burnt offering. And all its fat shall burn on the altar like the fat of the sacrifice of peace offerings. So the priest shall make atonement for him for his sin and he shall be forgiven. So that was the priest, then the congregation, now a leader. Now, if anyone of the common people sins unintentionally in doing any one of the things that the Lord's commandments ought not to be done and realizes his guilt or the sin which he has committed is made known to him, he shall bring for his offering a goat, a female without blemish for his sin which he has committed. And he shall lay his hand on the head of the sin offering and kill the sin offering in the place of burnt offering. And the priest shall take some of its own of its blood with his finger and put it on the horns of the altar of the burnt offering and pour out all the rest of its blood at the base of the altar. All its fat he shall remove as the fat is removed from the peace offerings and the priest shall burn it on the altar for a pleasing aroma to the Lord. And the priest shall make atonement for him and he shall be forgiven. 
Almost there. If he brings a lamb as his offering for sin offering, he shall bring a female without blemish, lay his hand on the head of the sin offering and kill it for a sin offering in the place where they kill the burnt offering. Then the priest shall take some of the blood of the sin offering with his finger, put it on the horns of the altar of burnt offering, pour out all the rest of its blood at the base of the altar. All its fat he shall remove as of the fat of the lamb is removed from the sacrifice of peace offerings and the priest shall burn it on the altar on top of the Lord's food offerings and the priest shall make atonement for him for the sin which he has committed and he shall be forgiven. The word of God, good job. Let me ask God for help. Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you that even when it's long and confusing, uh, it's still you who speaks and we believe that you can speak to us through this book through this chapter. And, and you've spoken to me this week, God. You've radically spoken to me. And I just ask that you would, you would give these precious sons and daughters of yours, you would, these precious people who are in your image, you would, you would give them understanding. You would give them a hunger for your word. God, wake us up, encourage us, free our minds of distractions and help us to meet and hear from the living God right now. We love you. We thank you. And it's in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, sin sucks. That is why we have the book of Leviticus. Uh, and even little sins can like do some serious damage, okay? Like an uh, unintentional sin of your leader, whoever that leader may be, can do a lot of damage. We, I mean, we know this, uh, the, the small, unintentional hidden sins of, like, think about the presidents in our history who've had these little sins. Like, it's done damage to a whole nation. How often do we hear of, like, a leader of a company when they're, they're sin, and you're like, oh, great, they, they got to step down. Wells Fargo, blah, blah, blah. Like, uh, pastors, churches have disappeared because of some small-ish sins of a pastor. Like, entire churches, gone, no more. That church doesn't exist anymore. Uh, churches have split and divided over seemingly really small sin. And, and then your own life, like I know that even just these small sins in my life, there's just like this guilt and these secrets that we carry around with us. And like they actually do affect us and they actually affect the people we interact with. Even if we're like, oh, it's just a small thing or I didn't mean to. Like sin sucks and it affects people around us. And the, uh, the unintentional sin is kind of like what is highlighted in this offering, which is so random because it's like, yeah, let's maybe murder or maybe like adultery, but the unintentional sin, the unintentional sin is what this entire chapter of Leviticus is dedicated to, which is the sin offering. And uh, it's, it's random. It's like, God, why does an unintentional sin matter that much? Like, they didn't even mean to do it. And just to help us feel this, I'm going to tell a really painful story of an unintentional sin. So when I turned 16, got my driver's license, like, the day I could, I was so stoked. I saved up since I was four years old. I'm Dutch, and my dad was like, you're going to save for your car, and here's a little piggy bank, and whatever you save, I'll match it. So I was this little kid, like, the ice cream truck goes by and everyone's like going, I'm like, no, I'm buying my truck. And I was like six. I was like, I will buy this truck. So I saved up, 
by the time I was 16, I bought the truck. It's still, I still have this truck. I love this truck. Um, it's like my truck. And uh, so I, I'm, I get my license and it just became a rule like that year that you can't talk on your cell phone while you're driving. And so that was like the era, it was 11 years ago. To, and uh, it was like when those giant Bluetooth things, they were like the first ones that came out and people like walked around with their Bluetooth. And my mom bought me like the most ugly Bluetooth thing. And she was like, you must wear this in your ear at all times when you drive. And I was like, 16 and like this is so lame so I was like okay mom like I'm putting it on my ear I like wave goodbye drive away and as I'm leaving my house I was like okay I'm not wearing this but here's what I'll do I'll just set it somewhere in my car and if someone calls me then naturally I'll pick it up put it in my ear so I'm driving out of my neighborhood and so it's like a neighborhood onto like a main street and there was like no one there it was it wasn't crowded and so I'm pulling onto this main street and I'm looking down at like, where should I put this thing as I'm turning? Now, like when you turn, you know, you straighten out, but I wasn't looking. And so, and my foot's not even on the gas. I'm just, foot's off the gas, coasting, just turning. And um, all of a sudden, I like my truck does this. And I realize I hit the curb. And when I hit the curb, my truck came up, which brought the gas pedal to my foot. And so before I knew what was happening, I was like, what and like full-blown accelerating on my truck can't like not and I'm like driving onto the side of the it was like this big walkway and I was like oh my gosh and before I even knew what was happening a huge crash in my truck and I just like go like this and now I'm looking in the sky and I'm watching a cement light pole crumbling in front of me and it like crumbles it would have murdered like 10 people if they were standing there. And, and like, so just like, ah, what is happening? And then I'm just, I'm just there, like in the air, like what have I done? And that light pole was $25,000 to fix. It's like a cement, a piece of whatever. And it was $25,000. And my truck just barely survived getting totaled, like my truck that I loved. And it literally split my like hood like my truck just went like this and it just missed like everything that needed to be there. So it was like $6,000 to fix my truck and $25,000 to fix this pole. Um, I, so my parents are like, okay, you're going to pay for that. And so for like the next two years in high school, I worked and didn't ever receive a single dollar for working for two years, uh, but I paid it off and uh, my truck survived. Yes, praise God. But here's the thing. Did I mean to do that? Was I like, I'm going to destroy my truck? No, I didn't mean to do that. That was unintentional. But did it cause some damage? Yes, a lot of damage, a lot of damage. Now, sin is actually like that. We, like, we sin. There's times where like, I know what I'm doing. I know I'm not supposed to do this, whatever, I'm going to do it. And we sin. That's normal. That's what we think about. But other times, some of the most significant sin in your life in the past or even in your future will not be like you wake up in the morning and you're like, I'm gonna go do this today. You will, we will stumble into sin. That may be extremely, extremely costly. Most of the time even, we're, we're not like looking for sin, but, but it's like it, in our flesh and the enemy in the world, it's like looking for us. And we, this, the Bible talks about us, uh, we're like sheep. Now like you could have like a rebellious sheep, 
who's like, I'm not going to listen to my shepherd. That's true. But more often, a sheep on its own is going to get into more than enough trouble, right? It's the, the Bible says, Isaiah 53, all we like sheep have gone astray. We're like, we're just kind of wandering around and like, oh, there, the sheep just walked off a cliff or the sheep just walked away from the whatever herd and it just got eaten by a wolf. Like sin is actually like that. Sin is often something that it almost feels like it happens to us. You, we, I were born into sin. Just think about that. You were born into a sinful world, into sinful parents. You had like this little wicked baby heart, even though that's like, how could that be? If you talk to anyone raising a small child, they're like, no, 100%, they're wicked. There's actually something that's wicked in there. God made babies cute, I think, because they're wicked. And there's like, this is their survival mechanism, that they're cute. I honestly think that's true. Um, We like, sin is in us. It's like, it's just part of the world that we live in. And, And think about this. There are aspects of your character that you aren't even aware of that are deeply sinful. Just think about that. There are aspects of you that are actually like wicked that you aren't even aware of. Do you know when you'll become aware of them is either when you get married or you have children and you're like, why are you? And then just where did that come from? Like there's things in us that we don't even know are in there. And then when we start even interacting with other humans, all of a sudden things start to bubble to the surface that we're like, I did not even know that's in me. You like Psalm 19, it's David just crying out and he says, who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Like there is sin in our life that we don't even know is sin. There are thoughts about God we may have that, that, are, that are wicked and wrong and you don't even know you have those thoughts. Just how crazy is that? You maybe were taught things about life or the world or marriage or whatever that are wrong and wicked and you don't even know that. Like we are like these sheep and, and oftentimes we're gonna wander off into sin and it's gonna cause some serious damage. And, um, and to be honest, it's like, if, if you guys ever dro- drive in like a one-way street in like a town you're not used to, I've done that. You're like driving and you're like, oh my gosh, what is happening? And if you get pulled over and you tell the policeman, I didn't know, he's not going to be like, oh, okay. He's like, yeah, you're an idiot. Here's a ticket. Like maybe he'll be gracious, but, but just because you didn't mean to do it doesn't make it okay right? Just because you didn't mean to do it doesn't make it okay. Like it's dangerous. You're going to kill people. Uh, Sin is often like that. And do you know where the unintentional sin actually, I think, haunts us more than anything is in our past. Because many of us, like we're young and we're just led astray to do crazy things when we were whatever, literally kids or junior high or high school. There are things that we have done in junior high or high school that were like, oh my gosh. And like, it just kind of happened. Like maybe you had a friend or you had this group of friends and you're like, didn't know what was going to happen. And then you find yourself in sin. Um, Many of us, like before you became a Christian, like you were living a life that you're like, I didn't know this is wrong. And now that you're a Christian, you're like, you look back at your past with shame, like real shame. Uh, This is crazy. This is personal. Maybe uh, this is okay. When I was in fifth grade, I was in fifth grade at a friend's house and we were like roaming around like this field and my friend brought me to this bucket and he opens the bucket and it's just stashed full of like, I'll say this way, dirty magazines. And I was in fifth grade and he was, and I'm just like, I didn't even know that was a thing. 
And he, and like, like that was like my intro to like porn, little fifth grader in a field bucket. Like I didn't, I didn't even know that was a thing. And honestly, like that day affected the rest of junior high and the rest of high school. Like, like we have stories like that. We were like, I, how did this happen? How did I get here? I didn't mean to do this. And those sins in our past, like they haunt us. If we're honest and we actually let ourselves think about it, they can really haunt us. And we can carry around our past sins like these, these wounds. Like we may still feel shame for things we did like 10 years ago. We feel real guilt. From, from things that are, are from a long time ago. And we think like, no, 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 they don't affect us. And then you get in a relationship or a friendship or something triggers it and you're like, oh my gosh, that's still in me. And I'm still carrying that around. That's, that's part of being human. That is just part of what it is for us to be human. We carry around this baggage. And um, the sin offering in Leviticus chapter four, by the grace of God, offers us like real hope and forgiveness, and cleansing, and, and a re- actual like removal of that thing that we carry around. Like real quick, three times. Verse 20, the priest shall make atonement for them and they shall be forgiven. Like you can be forgiven of that guilt you're hanging on to. Verse 26, the priest shall make atonement for him and he shall be forgiven. Verse 31, the priest shall make atonement for him and he shall be forgiven. So right off the bat, hear this. There's actually hope for you in that guilt and that weight and that like dirtiness that you may feel. There is actually hope. God knows about it and is like, I want to make a way to, to make this better. And that's the sin offering. So real quick summary, in case you didn't hear it, the four times we did it. Here's the gist of the, the sin offering. Uh, someone takes a bull or a goat or a lamb. With your own hands, you kill it. Just that's gnarly. You take some of the, and then, okay, so you go give, you, you kill it. Then the priest takes some of the blood, sprinkles it in the temple, drains the rest, burns the fat, and then the rest of the bull is taken. This is unique. It's taken outside the camp. Remember at this time they were camping. Like they had like, here's our camp. We're in the middle of the desert. It moved around. The tabernacle was a tent. They were camping and it had to be taken outside the camp. So if you ever go camping, it's like pooping, okay? You don't just poop like, 10 feet away in a bush, like that's, that's not right, right? You like go far, far away. You dig a hole, you poop, you bury it, and you just like pray that that's never gonna be found by anyone. That's, it's like that. It's like that. You would take this rotting bull and you would take it far away outside the camp. And uh, so that's like the, the basic summary of the sin offering, but there's, it's really significant how God structures the order. And he's like, okay, First of all, we're going to talk about priests. Modern day language, we're going to talk about pastors. We're going to talk about people who like are leaders in the church. In that day, those, the priests were those who would like be leaders of the tabernacle. And the priest's job, think about this. And that day, the priest's job, your one job, is to assist people in the removal of their sins. Like I'm going to serve you so that you can be with God. Now imagine that you, your one job is to help people be forgiven of sin and imagine that you are unclean and sinful. So all these people are like, oh, I wanna be with God and I can't and I'm unclean. And you're like, come to me. And every sacrifice you touch gets tainted. 
And every time they make a sacrifice, everything you touch, that, it's like that guy's whole, everything, that animal, it's like, it's as if it's worthless. Okay, next person. And there were like over a million, there was over a million Jews. So you are tainting every single person's sacrifice. Think about that. Thousands, hundreds of thousands, millions of sacrifices just void. And nobody had any like, thanks. I, I did everything I could. And because you were sinful, my situation is now void. Um, and that's actually similar to today. There's a parallel. Like one of the quickest ways that Satan goes after a church is to the pastors. He just does. He knows if I can get at this guy, it's going to affect, it's going to touch everybody. And like we see that happening. We actually see it. There's this verse in Zechariah that says, strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. So that's on like a pastor. That's one of Satan's main strategies. A priest is one of Satan's main strategies. I'm going to go after this guy. I'm going to taint this guy. And I, I even want to just address that. I think we've all probably experienced like a broken, even fallen pastor. I think we've all experienced that. Like there's been some people who are really close to me who are no longer pastors. Um, and that like damage and hurt and pain and confusion, like that can spread through an entire church. Like what about all the things they did for me and said to me? Are those things not true? Is my relationship with God even true? Like how gnarly is that? Even, even through like their teaching, like I, I don't know if I can trust this anymore. Um, like they're broken pastors. And, and God is like, hey, that's, that's a thing that happens. Pastors, priests, they were sinful men. And so I want to make a way. I want to start with them. And I want to make a way for them to be clean. And so what he does is he takes, now notice, do you guys, anyone remember top of your head, what was the animal that the priest takes? The bull, I've said that five times. Um, takes a bull. That's unique. All the other sacrifices wasn't a bull. Why a bull? A bull at that time was the most expensive thing you could own. It was like owning a really nice car. Like you don't just own a bunch of bulls. Bulls, it was like most people didn't even have them. So God's making a statement here. I want you to kill a bull. Why would you kill a bull? Listen, I'm gonna quote real quick uh, this guy, the guy Bonner who wrote the commentary. In fact, I think we're gonna get some of them. This is what he said about why would you sacrifice a bull? As the most bulky and most expensive form of sacrifice was the bull. The priest must take this form of sacrifice in, in order to make more obvious to the eye his concern for his sin. He spares no cost in bringing his sin to the altar. And the people learn from him to spare no cost in bringing their sins to the atoning blood. Okay, so real quick. If you, and I know many of us here want to do ministry, if you want to be a pastor, if you want to be a missionary, you want to serve the church, listen, you must lead in repentance. You must literally lead and, and spare no expense. And I'm going to tell people about my sin. You must, it must be, and it's, it's going to be costly. It's going to be like a bull. Like this, this may cost me, you could feel like this may cost me my position. This may cost me my service. This is literally the requirement. If you want to do ministry, if you, the Bible's like, hey, not many people should. If you feel called to that, like you're, you need to treat your sin really serious and you need to lead the church and every relationship you have in confessing your sin. Think about that. And do you know what's so sad? The opposite's true. 
The opposite actually happens. It's like, oh, no, no, I'm a pastor. Oh, I'm serving. I'm a worship leader. I'm, I'm leading this ministry. Like, I'm good. Like, I've done a lot of good things. God's probably stoked with me. I know that's not ideal, but like, I'm okay. Or I can't tell anybody because like, they're gonna, what are they gonna think? Because I'm like leading them. The, the opposite is true. And, and that is a lie from Satan to say, hey, keep your sin in the dark. Don't tell anybody about it. You'll lose your position. If you were a high priest, you had to lead in your sin. You had to lead in your sin. And how gracious of God, he's like, hey, I wanna make a way for a pastor, a priest to, to, to lead people in confession. Okay, so that's a little nug if you wanna be in ministry. But the next group is the congregation, okay? Uh, oftentimes the Bible talks to an entire group of people like you have sinned. Not just like this guy sin, oftentimes like entire churches or groups of people have like corporate sin. You'll see that like Revelation and Jesus is talking to specific churches like you guys all did this. You're, this church all are guilty of this. And um, I'm gonna read, uh, this happened one time in the Bible in 1 Corinthians. This church was actually like so crazy the things they did. Uh, they, they were stoked on the blood of Jesus. So they're like, we could do anything because we're forgiven. And they did some crazy things. Um, and I'm gonna read maybe the most difficult passage you've ever heard about dealing with sin in a congregation, okay? This is the Bible and it's real and it's true, but this is so gnarly. And I would almost say almost nobody ever does this, but this is what God wants how he wants us to deal with sin in our midst. Like one of us is sinful and this is what God wants us to do. It's, okay, really crazy. First Corinthians 5. It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you. I love Paul's like, I can't believe it. And of a kind that is not even tolerated among pagans. And I'm gonna like skip a few and read the main points. Let him who has done this be removed from among you. Does that ever happen at your church? Your boasting is not good. Do you not know that even a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump. I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. Not at all meaning the people of this world, since then you would need to go out of the world. But now I am writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother, if he is guilty of sexual immorality or greed, or is an idolater, reviler, drunkard, or swindler, not even to eat with such a one. For what have I to do with judging outsiders? Is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? God judges those outside. Purge the evil person from among you. That's in the Bible, in the New Testament about God's attitude towards sin in a church. Like that's insane. Kick them out. Don't talk to them. Don't eat with them because they sinned. And the bottom line, I'm like, part of me is like, what? But the bottom line is this, like their sin is not excusable for a Christian. It's just not, it's not excusable. There is literally no excuse, especially within the church. He's like, yeah, people sin, like people who don't know Jesus are gonna sin. Of course they're gonna sin. But it is not excusable for people in the church to be sinning. It has to be dealt with. And uh, the same way that bull would go out of the camp, 
he's like, that's how you need to treat that person. Like, you need to get it out of there. Um, like, it's so insane. Uh, and I, I'll just say, no, I'll say, I'll say that. So that's, I'm just gonna let that be. That's clear and hard and crazy. God cares about congregational sin. Uh, the next people he addresses, so he addresses the high priest, he addresses the congregation. Now he addresses leaders. What does that mean? It's not uh, religious leaders, it's political leaders. So this is relevant. He's addressing in uh, verse 22, a political leader of the group, like a governor, you're leading, like you're, you're an elder, you're like a, literally a political leader in the group. And um, honestly, like, yes, yeah, so, so in the context, there were leaders at that time who sinned. And, and God is like, that has to be dealt with. Real quick, to painfully attach that to now, um, we have leaders who, who explicitly do things that, or, or that do things that are explicitly told not to, like are condemned in this book. We have leaders who explicitly go like, I'm not gonna obey that. And, and even I'll flaunt that. And just to help us feel it, because this, this is hard, but it's Leviticus 4 is relevant. Um, like think about this. We have leaders who have indulged in sexual sin, who've lied about hiding their sin, this is crazy. We have leaders leading us. This is a couple of our sins, our leader sins, to treat immigrants in an unbiblical way. The Bible actually talks about immigrants and the ways we're supposed to treat them. And we're not treating them a certain way. Uh, we have leaders who have abused the sword. God says one of the, the main uh, tools of the government of leaders is the sword. To keep, it's like gnarly, it's a threat, like don't do bad stuff because you could get killed. We have leaders who have, who have abused the sword, right? We know that. We have leaders in our communities who abuse the sword. And then we have leaders who have taken the sword out of the hands of those who need the sword. Think about that. We've, we've done both. We've, uh, we have leaders who've led our nation to kill over 60 million babies in their mother's womb. We have leaders who have redefined God's most like basic, basic institutions of like, hey, marriage is a good thing. And and even to the point of like God-given maleness and femaleness, I'll just say it. Like we have leaders who have gone against that. Um, We live in a broken world, in a broken country with broken leaders. And the point, at least hear this from Leviticus 4, God notices and he cares about those things. Like he does. He he's like talks about them in the Bible. He notices and he cares um, and how gracious of God to make a way for leaders, sinful leaders, to make a way for their sin to be cleansed. Like God cares about that. That's something he cares about and he makes a way for that to be dealt with. And then the last group is you. The last issue. So he goes, high priest, he goes, the congregation, he goes, leaders. And then he says, if any individual, that's us, if any individual sins, and God here is gonna address unintentional sins of an individual. This is your life. And the main point here is, is we all have unintentional sin. Um, and, and God's like, it has to be dealt with. Like it needs to be dealt with. And, and this is crazy. As you, I know this, as you walk with Jesus, I've experienced this. As you walk with Jesus, uh, you're gonna like start to see and find all this sin that you didn't even know is there. 
Like you're going to learn more about your own heart and you're just going to be doing life. And then all of a sudden, like there's this sin in you and you're like, what the heck? What is this? I didn't mean to do this. Or like, I, I forgot that that's in my past and I'm carrying it around. And if you want to follow Jesus, your life is going to be one of just continual repentance of like, I need to get rid of this sin. I need to get rid of these little things. And, and, and they matter to God. Like, don't listen to the world when it says, it doesn't matter. Like, don't listen. Don't listen to Satan when he's like, don't tell people about those sins. So they don't matter. Even little sins can actually ruin entire families. Adam and Eve's little sin, like, ruined everything. Crazy Bible story, Achan. You guys ever heard of Achan? He, uh, this little sin, he basically, like, they have this battle. God's like, don't take any plunder. He takes, like, it's so random. It's like, took like a gold bar and like a jacket. He's like, I'm just going to take it. And he, he hides it. They then go out to the next battle and they lose and hundreds and maybe even thousands of people die. And they're like, God, why aren't you with us? And he's like, there's sin in your camp. There's sin in, in someone's life. And, and when they, God revealed it was Achan, Achan and his family were killed because of Achan's sin. Like that is so crazy. And, I, and there's a statement there, like your sin affects people in your life. Uh, so sin really matters. Sin really, really matters to God. And now maybe you're asking this question. Honestly, I ask this question. I, I honestly ask, like, is this really necessary? Like 34 verses of like killing for an unintentional sin. That's my honest response. I'm like, God, this is a little bit overboard. And how often do they do this? Like every day. Um, and either you could go like, I'm not that bad. Or you could be like, there's no hope for me because... If you knew my head and my heart, it's like constant, unintentional, unintentional, like it's nonstop. And, and it's really interesting and for me even to be like, is, is it that serious to God? Like, why is it that serious? When they slaughtered so many animals that the ground was literally like caked with blood. Inside, it says that you sprinkle the blood inside. The, inside the Holy of Holies, there would be like blood on the floor. Like you would be walking on a blood-stained floor to deal with these seemingly small things. And um, here's a, a main theme of Leviticus is this, and it's take it or leave it, it's true. God is, is much holier than we thought. It, that's just true. God is far, far holier than we thought. Like really God, unintentional? Why is it such a big deal? It's a big deal because God is so holy. And, and here's, this is really interesting because you could be like, okay, but God's God. Can't God just forgive it? Like be gracious, like I forgive you. You know what? I forgive you. Um, why doesn't God just, why did he make us do this? Because it's just so much stuff. And uh, the answer is God can forgive it, but it has to be dealt with. It's a real thing. Here's an example. Let's say someone stole your life savings, okay? Whatever that is, a lot, little probably, who knows? Steals your life savings. Um, Couldn't you just forgive them? Yeah, you can forgive them, right? Sure, you can forgive them. But like, you lost your life savings still, right? You could forgive them, but someone is still paying for that sin. You are. You could forgive them, but there's like a real, something actually happened that had to be dealt with. And God, 
listen, God forgives us, but sin is a real thing that causes a real debt and it has to go somewhere. It has to be dealt with. Sin is a real thing. And God is saying even these sins, these unintentional small sins, it has to be dealt with. It can't remain unconfessed. And that's pretty heavy. Um, but how good is God? He's like, so I'm gonna make a sin offering. I'm gonna make a way for all of this stuff in all of your lives. I'm gonna make a way for it to go somewhere. And listen, here's, here's a little uh, theological thing. The burnt offering dealt with forgiveness. And the picture was this, like the animal member was fully burned and consumed. That's a picture of punishment for sin. It's a picture of the wrath of God, like being expended, what's the word? It's It's all gone. It's used up, none left. That's a picture of like God saying that needs to be punished. The burnt offering is like, poof, gnarly, there it is, it's gone. Now, the burnt offering is dealing with, yeah, something can be forgiven, but it's got to go somewhere. Again, like the debt. Yes, I'll forgive you. I'm not going to have wrath on you. I'm not going to be mean to you. But the sin's got to go somewhere. And the, the, the sin offering is a picture of where does the sin go? And he says, I want you to take it outside the camp. You're going to give it, you're going to put on this bull. And then now the bull is representing the sin, and now it's going to go outside the camp. The sin actually goes somewhere. And so God is saying about your and my and their sin, okay, identify, put your hands on this bull. That bull is now receiving your sin. It's weird. It's gonna, you're going to kill it. It's going to be, its blood's going to be sprinkled, and then the priest is going to go take it away somewhere, and your sin is going to be burned out there away from the camp, and it's going to be gone. Like, it'll actually be gone. All your shame that you carry around will actually go somewhere else and be gone. All the guilt, all the weight that you feel will actually be taken somewhere and it will be burned up and it will be gone. And we know this. This book, Leviticus, points us to Jesus. And Jesus is not only the burnt offering who received the wrath that we deserved, he's our sin offering and he was removed. He, he, was, he took our sin, and then, you know what's crazy? Do you know where the cross was? It's a cross in the middle of town. Do you know this? The cross was outside the city of Jerusalem to like this desolate place on this hill that looked like a skull. And Jesus was taken outside the camp, outside of society, as a representation of like, I'll take the sin, and I'll go somewhere else with it. And if you want to flip quickly to Hebrews 13, we're going to read this verse. This is so important and significant. Hebrews 13 verse 11 says this. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy place by the high priest as a sacrifice for sin are burned outside the camp. That's what we just read. So Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. Now, First of all, thanks God that we don't have to like kill animals constantly to get rid of our sin. But, but even more than that, Jesus, Jesus is like that perfect sin offering that once and for all, when you trust in Jesus, did you know this? When you trusted in Jesus, when you've put your faith in Jesus, it's like all of your sin, all the junk that is in your life gets placed onto Jesus. And Jesus is like, I got it now. It's not yours, and I'm going to go take it away. 
and he was killed on a cross and all the wrath was poured out, the burnt offering and all the guilt and all the shame that you feel was actually removed and was placed on to Jesus. That's actually a real thing that happened when you became a Christian. That's a real thing. And sin often feels like a burden. I know that. I know what it feels like to be carrying my sin around. And, and you need to know this. The, the day that your shame was removed 2,000 years ago. If you're a Christian, it's not on you anymore. It's actually gone. It's actually all your shame. All the dirtiness that you feel and was done to you, it was actually literally historically placed onto Jesus and removed. And if you're a Christian, like that happened. Jesus took God's wrath for you and he took all your shame away. And so, so here's, here's the thing. We have an enemy, the, we have Satan, and his, one of his titles is he's the accuser. And this is what Satan does to us every day. We wake up and he says, hey, you're still dirty. Hey, you still need to carry your sin. Hey, you still need to carry your shame. What you did then, and he's just gonna constantly say, you need to carry that, you need to carry that. That's who you are. You are dirty, you are filthy, you need to carry that. And that's like every day when we wake up and go throughout our days, that's what is going on in our head. Satan's just lying and lying and lying to us. And you know what we get to say to him? We get to actually say, if you're a Christian, if you've put your hope and your trust in the saving blood of Jesus, you get to say, it's, I know where my sin is. Like, it's, it's on the cross. Like, and, and we actually get to point him to the place where he was defeated. Think about how we get to turn that on his head. When Satan's like, oh, you're so dirty, you're a sinner. We can actually say, no, actually, on the cross, all of my filth was washed away. And I don't have to carry that anymore. And by the way, the cross is where you were defeated. And, and all your accusations are just that now. They're accusations, they're lies. And so part of following Jesus is daily, like knowing what is true about you. If you're a Christian, you are not condemned. You are not dirty. You are no longer guilty. You no longer have to carry the weight. What happened in fifth grade and what happened last night, like we don't have to carry that anymore. We are actually free. When we come to Jesus, he says, come to me and take my yoke upon you and it's easy. It's like, he's like, I'll take, I'll take what you've been carrying and I'm actually strong enough to do that. And, and now you just walk with me and you will be forgiven and cleansed. Jesus is our perfect sin offering. And do you know what's a fun bonus? Jesus is also our perfect high priest. That guy who was sinful, who we had to be stressed out about, like, man, I hope he didn't do something wrong so my sins can be forgiven. Do you know Jesus was a perfect high priest? He didn't sin. There's no, his sin doesn't affect us because Jesus was perfect. And Jesus is perfectly able to approach God on your behalf. And do you know what else? Jesus is our perfect leader in this text. We don't, Jesus is actually your king. He's your leader more than any president, more than any governor or whatever. Like Jesus is your king and he's perfect and he's a good one. And we don't have to be discouraged about his past and about his sins and if he's gonna do something stupid. Like Jesus is actually your king. And, and here's something that's so interesting about Hebrews 13. Jesus leads you, us, somewhere better. This is crazy. If you still have Hebrews 13, look at verse... Um, 13. This is, this is how we're going to end. This is a crazy twist. 
in the sovereignty of God. Therefore, let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. Ready for this sentence? For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. Jesus, in going outside the camp with our sin, is also a picture of like, hey, I'm going outside of this city, this world, and I'm going to do something better. And you want to follow me? You actually now need to leave that city you used to belong to, the world, and you're going to follow me because we're going to go outside of that city. It's this crazy picture of a statement. I'm like, I don't belong here anymore. I actually have a better city to belong to. It's, it's the kingdom of God, and it's going to last forever. There's, it's this crazy, unexpected, like, God's like, yeah, this is going to show you the sin offering, but I also want you to see that Jesus is your king who leads you to a different, a better city. And this week, some of you, like, are so discouraged or excited or whatever, but listen, this is not a lasting city. Do you know that? Like, America will not last And every president will be an inconsequential footnote, if even that. The Bible says every nation is like a drop in the bucket. It's like it will not be remembered. This world, this city, this president, honestly, has almost almost zero significance to eternity. This is not a lasting city. It's one we live in, but every day I'm going to go follow Jesus to a better city. This isn't my city. I'm going to follow him to a better city. And do you know what else? This world is in our home because we belong to a better one that literally cannot be shaken. Did you know you belong to a city that if nuclear warfare happened right now, your city would not be affected. Jesus' kingdom would not be affected. Jesus' kingdom is secure and there is nothing anyone can do to affect even one ounce of what happens in his kingdom. It's secure. Jesus didn't lose anything. He didn't lose anything on Tuesday. He's not going to lose anything for the rest of the history of the world. And you live and belong to that city. If you're a Christian, let your heart like, hey, I don't need to freak out. I don't need to be super upset. Like I belong somewhere else and it's far, far better. And, and the last point on that city is um, we follow Jesus. So, so we make really good citizens. Like we're going we're gonna to actually go outside the camp to love those who couldn't live in the camp like we go to the lost like we go to the dirty we go to the broken who couldn't live with Israel we follow Jesus outside the camp we're the best citizens we don't rebel like we actually pray for our leaders whoever they are like we make the best citizens because we belong to Jesus to a better city and so um as we close there's two main thoughts that I want us to know number one is, is Jesus takes our guilt and our sin and our shame away. And uh, I, I know that some of you may be right now carrying weight and carrying guilt and carrying shame. Um, and Jesus tonight is like, come to me. Let me take that off your shoulders. You, can be cl- you, you are clean. Come, confess your sin. Repent to me right now in, in your seat. Come, take communion. Remember that like I died outside the camp so that you could be made clean. There is no sin that is too dirty for Jesus to take care of. You can be clean. And the second one is this. If you're stressed about the world, it's okay. Me too. Literally watching the news, like fear comes. I'm like, this is crazy. You can like rest your heart tonight knowing Jesus is actually king and his throne is secure and you belong to that city. And and listen, if you don't, if you're not a Christian, I just want to say, here's the offer tonight. 
come have your sin removed and, and come belong to a city that cannot be shaken. It's a pretty good offer. Come to Jesus where you can be made clean and where he'll be your king. And he's like, you can be secure in my kingdom. So as we, uh, Mike, you can cruise up to worship and um, we're just gonna spend some time sitting before the Lord. And uh, obviously if you need to go, you can do whatever, but we have these carpets here just as this posture of like, humble yourself before the Lord. Jesus, I'm yours. We're gonna have prayer teams on both sides. Um, We're gonna get into this next week, but I'll just ruin the good part now. If uh, you can confess your sin and it's forgiven in an instant, to Jesus, but if you confess your sin to a person, like healing comes. And so that's why we have prayer to actually like confess with your mouth to another human being, hey, like I carry this shame, this is in me. And when we do that, like healing begins to come. I just encourage you to do that. Or even like I'm stressed, I'm worried, I'm overwhelmed, I have a test, whatever it is, like you come get prayer. Jesus is real, he like wants to help. Um, we'll have communion here and, um, and also just Go where you need to go in the room. Pray for one another. Let's, let's seek Jesus and let's remember that, that we are not condemned. We are clean and he is our king. Jesus, we thank you for your word that points us to Jesus, that points us to the fact that even our unintentional wounds and guilt that we carry can be removed outside the camp. Our worst sins and our smallest sins can be removed because you died for us, Jesus, and you took it outside the camp to be removed forever as far as the east is from the west. Jesus, you are also our king, and we belong to your kingdom. And so tonight, we just want to, like, relax, trust that that it's going to be okay, that you are in control, that this city, this world, this this country is is a drop in the bucket. It's not going to last but your kingdom will last. We just trust that you're in control. You're seated on your throne. We confess our anxieties and fears and sadness, Lord. Um, we put our hope in you. We even want to just pray for this, these leaders of ours, God, but we trust you. We trust you. And Jesus, I just pray that you would now engage us. You would help us to engage with you in worship, Lord. Thank you that your presence is here. Would we take advantage of this time to seek you to sing to you, to confess our sins, to remember what you have done. You are so good. We just want to seek you now.